Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Beyond the Bleachers podcast. Inyekan Okan here with Jason Hernandez and Inibi at Okan. How we doing, fellas? Yo! Yo, what's good? What's good? How was our week? How was our week? Uh, sad that last dance is yeah, over. I was literally about to say the same. <laughs> um, sad that dance is over. I've had a successful week in 2K. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't have a haircut. It's good and bad. But it's getting, yeah. it's getting there. I feel like things are getting better in terms oh, yeah. of world, world I, issues and stuff. Yeah, I agree. State's slowly reopening. Uh, churches are opening. Shout we out are, to Mr. Lemon. <laughs> yeah. We are getting the indication that maybe soon that barbershops will open. I know. Jesus. I need a, yeah. Well, I'm ready for a haircut. I'm yeah, about to, it's. I'm about to bless my barber with tip. Well, I get eighteen. What's it called? My haircuts are eighteen. I might have to double that. Yeah, I, double I, that. I was thinking of doubling, honestly. Yeah, I might give my barber like forty bucks. Yeah, maybe I might, even more. I might have to too. <laughs> Man, um, also, yeah, school's over too. Yeah, it's it's. How to not as crowded in terms of like stuff to do. Yeah. Unless you had a very successful semester. Had a very successful semester. Those grades looking good? Yeah. That's good. That's what we want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm just glad it's over, you know. Just a lot of people are doing um summer though. Summer classes? Yeah. Yeah. More people than I mean they're all yeah, I mean, it all depends on your major, so, like, you know. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. Well, anyway, um, we, have another, we have another exciting show planned for you all today. As we have the past few weeks, uh, we will be recapping the final two episodes of the Last Dance docuseries and giving our thoughts on the documentary as a whole. This past weekend gave us another great weekend of music. Future and Polo G were just a few names few of the big names to drop music this past weekend. We'll be reacting to their projects later in the show. And we'll also be having fashion designer and founder Rich of Rich Society, Mel Taylor, on the show to talk about his brand, how coronavirus has affected business, and his newest designs from his summer collection. Are you ready, fellas? Let's get to yes, it. Yes, sir. All right, let's go. So, as I meant, just mentioned, the final two episodes of the ESPN documentary titled The Last Dance aired this past Sunday. These final two episodes gave us a glimpse of Steve Kerr's upbringing, the famous flu game, and the Chicago, the Chicago Bulls' run to their sixth NBA championship. So, uh, from these final two episodes, uh, what are um, everyone's biggest takeaways? Um, can I start yeah, first? Sure. Yeah, go. All right. So I got three big takeaways from this. Um, my first one is definitely how unlucky the the Indiana Pacers were during that time period of three to four years. Um, Dennis Rodman, you really got a lot of balls for doing that during the NBA Finals. And in my opinion, this has to go down for me as the greatest sports documentary that I've ever watched. Love Dennis Rodman, and I agree with the last point. So far, so far. 
I yeah. feel like I feel like the future is bright in terms of docu series and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah. All right. I mean, there's many things that happened in the last two episodes. Honestly, there's a whole debate about whether he really got hung over in terms of the pizza and the flu. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was interesting to see how that was um talked about portrayed. and portrayed. Yeah. Um, five dudes literally one. That's just weird. That's strange. Yeah, that's that's strange. But but uh, he ate it. He got sick. He still did well. Eventually won. We just saw more greatness from him. Honestly, we just saw you know one championship after the other. We saw you know the last one and how it unfolded. Um, one part that was very notable to me was the ending, the unfolding of the team, how the team, you know, pretty much got dismantled and how it wasn't actually Jerry Krause necessarily that had the team dismantled, but the coach actually played a part in it. He decided to not come back when given the opportunity to. So I thought that was really interesting. And a lot of people are I, saying, um, are debating that and uh, saying, had he stayed, they all would have stayed and they all would have won at least one more championship. If you remember the next season, I'm pretty sure that was a lockout season. Yeah. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I agree. I agree. I kind of understand what you're saying, Jason, but I disagree at the same time mm-hmm. because the owner, Jerry Krause, did make a point saying that he, he didn't mind Jerry, uh, he, um, Jerry Reinsdorf didn't mind uh, Jerry Krause breaking up the team for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he was also okay with bringing that team back. Yeah. And and uh, Jerry Krause did famously say that even if, even if they won 82 games, Phil Jackson wasn't coming back. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure Phil Jackson made up in his mind that he wasn't coming back. And that also played a factor in what Jordan said, like in terms of I'm not playing for another coach besides Phil Jackson. Yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I just thought it was interesting how technically he kind of was given the opportunity to come back and he just decided to not take it. Eventually, I mean, we all know what he would do. He would go to the Lakers, start a whole new – Dynasty and stuff, but yeah, no, I, you, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but if you think about it, he was coaching that team for ten years. Those ten years were nine or ten years. Though that um, that that time period was there was ve- for him was very exhausting. Yeah. So I can understand why he took a break after that particular season. Imagine dealing with Dennis Rodman's ass. <laughs> That's true. That's true, but can I can I bring can I bring something back up to the the Pacer series? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally forgot that that Reggie's push off happened in that series. Like I knew it happened, but I didn't like. In terms of like my knowledge of the nineties, like I have a good knowledge, but like some things, some looks like for me, like some of the events are like puzzle pieces, like. I know I know certain events happen, but I don't know like when they happen. Yeah, I thought. But um, yeah, yeah. 
I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, for me, um, probably the biggest takeaway um, from those final two episodes were, one, we were lied to um, about the flu game when he actually got food poisoning. It kind of makes sense. Why would you call it the food poisoning game? Or he got hungover. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I'm not taking that. But, um, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny. It's like, um, uh, how, yeah, the flu game's kind of like, you know, it's used as like, you know, like how mentally strong athletes are and like to show their dedication. And it's kind of, it was kind of refreshing to kind of get the backstory of like what actually happened from the people who were around him. It is possible. I did tweet this on Sunday night that it is possible. I definitely think that he could have ate the Sodexo pizza that you that we all did not enjoy in elementary school. Um, that was rough. That cardboard pizza. <laughs> that was, yeah. That was, that was the dark times of my life in terms of eating. <laughs> it's funny because people actually enjoyed eating that, but I, I could never understand it. Or they would just uh, look, ooh, ooh, one thing I, who one enjoyed thing I, eating it? One thing I will say, or... Before before you go, one thing I will say, it got better as time went on. Oh like, yeah, not nah, high school and stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. But in like elementary school, middle school, and all that, yeah, that was rough. Yeah. That was some dark times. Yeah. Um, but what I were you gonna say Nivia? Nivia was gonna say something. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say who who enjoyed yes. the the right, pizza. So look, so I know there were people who would actually take the cheese off and eat it, and then throw the crust away. Man. That's some weird. That's some weird stuff, right yeah, there. No. That's just that, that's just nasty. But yeah, Fridays when they had cheese pizza in the cafeteria, never eat it. Never eat it. <laughs> um. Also, another thing, another thing that caught my eye was how low scoring these games were. Kevin Love tweeted that. Yeah, like, like ga- I believe game six finished eighty-seven, eighty-six. When was the last time two teams scored under hundred points? Yeah, Shit, think, I can't think, remember. Think, ab- think, think about it. Think about it in today's game. Scoring less than a hundred points is considered low scoring. Yeah, and 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 that score in itself was was a, was an average score. And I think, like, in terms of like my theory, in terms of the way it w- the why it was like that is because you had an older league, as Kobe gave us some insight of that in uh, episode five. And also, the game was played through the post. So that Less. definitely slows down the game. Less threes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Three wasn't a high, um, high, high, not efficient, but high frequency shot like you see today. Um, yeah, I agree with that. You know, post game, slow down the game, uh, older league. Um, defense being a fit, you know, hand checking. That's definitely a reason why more physical play. Definitely a reason why these you could see these games are a lot lower scoring than what we see today. Um, yeah. But one thing, one thing I do want, one thing that did stand out to me that you two didn't mention was um. Just Michael Jordan dancing on the bus before uh, game one of the 1998 NBA Finals. I know That's before. A meme. Yeah, pretty much. Still haven't saved that on my phone, but um, 
One thing that yeah, kind of picture. <laughs> one thing I have I... the one where he's taking his headphones off and like <laughs> looking. You gotta send me that. I got you. But one thing that does stand out, kind of like the juxtaposition between um, episode episode eight, where he's talking about his intensity and his drive to push his teammates to be the absolute best so that he can win. And then you kind of see a lighter moment of him enjoying himself with his teammates on the bus before he goes into battle. Yeah, there's two sides to him, man. Yeah. He's not an asshole, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's a fun person. I mean, he gets compared to with LeBron all the time. But it's not like these guys are assholes in on the practice floor. They genuinely want their teammates to be better. And that's that's what a good leader is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's one thing. It's one thing to be an asshole, um, like, a asshole in general as a person. And it's another thing to be that way on the court. Because... If you're an asshole on the court, that's most likely your competitive nature. Yeah, no, you're pushing your and teammates like, to. And and the thing that's kind of pissing me off too, in terms of, like, after watching like each episode, is like, people like especially people who interviewed in a documentary, they're they're getting upset about particular things that Jordan said, and it's like. It's it's kind of like confusing me. In what sense? What were the it's, things that were said? Yeah, if you can remember, like, like remember the the did you guys see the Horace Grant thing? Oh, the oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, like what he said lately, like yesterday, he was talking about um, he was talking about how Jordan didn't need to mention uh, Jordan's a snitch for uh, talking about the uh, the cocaine thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's like. These it's it's like some of these guys don't even like, like it's team it's his own teammates are calling him out for like the way he, the way like his competitive nature, which I don't understand. One thing like those are supposed to be the, those are supposed to be the same people who understand the way you play. One thing one thing is one this documentary is told from his perspective. Yeah, and the thing that you're talking about about the cocaine. Uh, when he mentions he that anecdote, he doesn't mention any player specifically. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think it's I, I just think it's matters that should be handled non-public. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that's stuff you don't have to bring out to public light. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're celebrating, you know, somebody's greatness, and you're kind of being a party pooper by yeah being like that, you know. And yeah, and that's one thing. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the after dance, after the dance um, special on ABC with uh, Stephen A. Smith. They had uh, Anthony Anderson, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and a few other NBA athletes. And one thing that Whoopi Goldberg said that she not Whoopi Goldberg it wasn't her. It was uh, Robin Roberts, who was a former ESPN analyst. Uh, one thing that, and now she's at. Um, Good morning, America. One thing that st- uh, stood out to her about the documentary, it just reminded her about how magical the 90s were and how Michael Jordan captivated the public's imagination. Yeah, no, the 90s were a great time. The 90s are viewed as a successful time in society. Yeah. In terms of, like, entertainment and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see where she's coming from with that. Yeah. Um. Well, one thing, let me ask you guys, now that we have the whole documentary, you know, we've seen the whole documentary, all 10 episodes, what's everyone's, you know, reactions to the documentary, what you like, what stood out to you, favorite episodes? I learned a lot about players not named Michael Jordan. I think that's uh, – it helps. It helps that um, we're not old enough to witness those times. So it helps that they went in depth on, you know, players. E- even, like, the Steve Kerr part of this past weekend. It's like, dude, I didn't know – I didn't know that about Steve Kerr's dad. Yeah, which is that's I, that's unfortunate too. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. But it's like I, I did not I didn't know stuff like that. I'm not a Bulls fan to really like get in depth on Bulls history and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I appreciated how they went in depth on a lot of players, um, you know, personal stories and stuff like that. And I feel like that's where the back and forth kinda helps. Like this was like episodes nine and ten, I believe, were the were the first two episodes where they just focused on the season itself. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Um, for me, like I said at the, at the beginning, this is probably this is gonna go down as the greatest sports documentary I've ever seen. Um, I said this last week, but it definitely would have helped if we got uh Jerry Krause's uh perspective, but unfortunately, he died three years ago and. We weren't able to get that, but there isn't really much I would change about the documentary in general. Not really much. It's although I would have, although I would have liked to see, although I would have liked to see like stuff from like the following year, like the lockout season. Oh, like a uh, like an epilogue. Yeah. I know okay, one. Yeah. I know one thing that you mentioned um, last week was you would have um, that you, Jason, that you were expecting to see. You know his time uh, when he was with the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but unfortunately, we didn't get that. Um, I would say I agree with both of you. Um, it was very well put together. Uh, not too many people were fans of the back and forth, but. For the genuine, genuine, the general viewer, it kind of gives context to yeah. the seat to the that particular season. And I wasn't, I wasn't a huge, I, I wasn't a huge fan at first, but then, like, I understand why. Stand it's it, yeah, I want, yeah, like from the even from the beginning, I kind of understood, like, you kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense from a general standpoint to kind of go back and forth, so you understand that season as a whole. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, I enjoyed the documentary. I definitely learned a lot. Um, it is unfortunate that I know one thing that I've seen a lot on social media. It is unfortunate that it did take a documentary for people to to realize the truth that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I didn't need a – I mean, I already knew that. I, didn't, I just needed a documentary to validate yeah. that. That's wow. my that's my point in EBA. Yeah, that's my point in EBA. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, also 
did you guys also see how like people were putting on social media uh if we had like if we had a ten part documentary series on a on a team or player, who would you choose? I I tweeted something about this. Kobe. Kobe? I, I agree. I agree. Kobe. I wasn't necessarily thinking about Kobe at the moment, but when I tweeted it, I said Tom Brady and Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. Uh, yeah. The first, the first three names that popped up was Kobe, Brady, and Braun. Braun's not yeah. happening until many years from now. But yeah, yeah. Definitely, no. definitely Kobe, and that's that's yeah. that's kind of what was going to be my final take on this um segment. This is only the beginning for yeah. for docu- for documentaries. We're probably going to get much better documentaries as time passes by. They're going to base it off of you know this and. The future is bright, you know. Yeah, yeah. And to piggyback, even now, even next, the next few weeks, thirty for thirty are doing a few series on. I know next week, this Sunday, they're doing um, it's the start of a two-part series about Lance Armstrong, and uh, kind of his career and like how he eventually got into doping. And as a cycling isn't my cup of tea. But I do watch it. It is interesting to watch, especially when the Olympics is coming around. But it is something I will be watching this weekend. Um, there's also the Sammy Sosa documentary. Long gone, to, yeah. long gone summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, not a much of a baseball fan, but um, I have heard very high things about Sammy Sosa. So I'm interested to see that. Drugs. Um, <laughs> not drugs steroids oh uh, but yeah i mean yeah yeah it's kind of ironic oh. i said high high thing huh? <laughs> no but i mean yeah yeah we're gonna get some good 30 for 30s in the near future i'm not familiar with cycling like that but hey maybe i will be yeah if i watch it and like it oh so. bro not nah, bro it's actually it's long it's me it's long. Cycling is long. Like I've watched uh, a couple stages of the Tour de France, and they are long. And like, what cyclists trust, are able to do is pretty amazing. Trust me, when there's nothing on, I've watched. I, I've watched curling before. Curling, bro. Curling's lit. Curling's lit. Curling's, it's lit. But you know, there's always something better. Yeah. <laughs> um. Any final thoughts before we transition? Byron oh, Russell's great. a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you don't talk to the you don't talk to the goat like that. You don't um, talk to the goat like that. My final take is more non-humorous. It was a great series. Um, it's gonna be disappointing not being able to talk about this in future episodes as much. Maybe we can bring it up here and there, but you know, we move on. And yeah, it was a good five weeks. It definitely helped with the quarantine. It kind of is good that things are getting better as the show ends. So thank you for putting that out earlier than it should have been. Yeah, yeah. definitely helped us satisfy our sports cra- our lack of sports craving. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Um Definitely necessary for the time. Um, it was sad. 
I was definitely sad at 11 o'clock Sunday night when I was like, wow, that was a good five weeks and it was finally over. Not finally over, but it's sadly over. It was a quick five weeks. Yeah, it was. Um, but anyway, um, this past weekend gave us another great weekend of music to enjoy during quarantine. Future, Polo G, and Tor- Tory Lanez were a few artists to drop music this past weekend. Future released his eighth studio album titled High on Life, and Polo G released his second studio album titled The Goat. Also, Tory Lanez released a new single titled, titled Temperature Rising. There are more artists that dropped music this past weekend, but with that being said, what was everyone's favorite from this past weekend? My favorite from this past weekend? She belongs to the streets. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that was fire. That was really good. Um, But let's change things up. Anivia, you go first. Um... <laughs> I really I really can't believe you just did that. Um hey, I'm gonna man, talk the pu- about the public gotta hear it, bro. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start with Future's album. Um my favorite track on that was Solitaires by uh by F- obviously Future featuring uh Travis Scott. The yeah. transition between the transition between that and um the transition between touch and touch the sky and that was just perfect. It was just perfect. My favorite song was that one too. Okay, okay. As you as you would I had a feeling I had a feeling that was gonna be your favorite. Hey, there were some good songs. Yeah, yeah. That, that was not that though. Although I feel like the album could have been a, a little bit shorter. I agree. Uh it was a long album. Twenty one songs. songs. There were some songs that you know, you know one thing that kind of annoys me is a bunch of bonus tracks and remixes <laughs> and stuff at the end of an album. Just keep it away. He he th- he threw in "Life Is Good." He threw in the remix. Yeah, that's but you didn't. Saying. But you guys didn't have to listen to it. In a sense, that album was so you take out I, the four songs. Seventeen. Yeah, it was seventeen songs. Yeah, that's can I? Long. But, but can I say this though? I honestly didn't listen to the. I I just stopped listening to the album after All Bad. Like after that, I was just like, okay, I got I got what I needed to. I got what I needed to know in terms of how good the album was. I liked. I liked Too Comfortable. Yeah, that was a, that was a track I liked. Too Not Comfortable. Named. Oh yeah, Solitaires. Yeah, I think in that in that a lot um, of people a lot of people like the Young Boy one too. Yeah. I think in that um in that um in that song he talks about his uh, eldest son's um arrest because of um I believe it was him relating to gang activity. I think he t- he talks about that one. And then and then, um and um accepting my flaws he talks about how Laurie Harvey's basically got him out of his like helped him deal with his um his worst his uh Worst demons. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was definitely the best project that came out this past weekend. Um, I agree. I agree with both of you. I kind of it was kind of hard. I didn't. The Polo G album was good, 
but kind of like my association kind of future was probably the future was the first artist that I kind of fell in love and kind of was the reason why I really got into hip-hop and rap music so it's kind of like, like you know future drops something I'm gonna listen to it um like, like I always say he's a founding father of the trap sound oh yes yeah, oh yeah definitely definitely um it kind of so influential to the Atlanta kind of hip-hop scene um but I would say yeah I agree um my favorite song was actually the first one Trapped in the Sun I like that oh that song wasn't that bad either yeah I like yeah no that, that was a good song yeah good song. I definitely like that one um I also liked uh Too Comfortable like you just mentioned Jason um yeah, yeah. Tears was good um Trillionaires, I'm not the hugest fan of Young Boy, but it wasn't that bad of a listen. It was a good, it was a decent uh, yeah. feature by Young Boy. Like I texted, yeah, like like what's it called? When when the album released Friday Friday night, I was like, I texted you, I was like, is this song worth listening to? And you told me it was, and it, it didn't, it didn't disappoint. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. Yeah. Um. Would you would you guys say that um this album was better than The Wizard? No. Oh, <laughs> I thought I, I thought you I thought I thought you were going somewhere else. No, honestly, was this? I thought I thought I, I thought you were going BS too. Oh no no no! I'm doing. Uh, would you say that? But would you guys say this better? This album is better than The Wizard. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that. I agree with Jason. Kind I'm of like halfway big, halfway through. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of The Wizard. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I think I I know halfway through, I was listening to when I was listening to it, I was like, this album. Halfway through, I was like, yeah, this album is better than The Wizard. Um, I was mm, I wasn't a huge fan of The Wizard at first, but you kind of have to. I had to give it like a few listens, and I was like, yo, this album's not that bad. Yeah, some some projects you gotta re-listen. Yeah, and that was kind of like when that was kind of like when uh, Future was kind of like still in his kind of like singing phase, you know, like everyone like everyone wasn't everyone wasn't a big fan of you know him just singing instead of just rapping. But um, we kind of see with this album, he kind of like you know he's going back to what uh, we saw with DS Two, uh, Purple Rain, Evo, all those albums that you know everyone really enjoys. Okay. Um. How? What about the Apollo G? Uh. What are your guys' thoughts on the Apollo G's album? So Apollo G, I, I've listened to him. It's not like I haven't. Okay. But not not crazy like that. Okay. Uh, I did go back and listen to his first project, but um. the second one at least I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. You guys are bigger Polo G fans than me. I mean, I wouldn't say I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily I'm a bigger Polo G fan because besides like like this honestly this was this was the first major Polo G album I've listened to. So, and this is his second album release. And any account you're not on the same page, right? No, not on the same page so, for a different reason. So, um as you guys know, Jonathan was my roommate in college, and he is a big Polo G fan. So he was kind of a reason I got into him. 
and I listened to Die a Legend around December, and I was like, yo, this is heat. And ever since then, I've pretty much been um, a Polo G fan. But um, I like the album. It was pretty good. Um, you can kind of see his... Obviously, he's from Chicago. You could kind of see the influence he, you know, his uh, the Lil Dirt influence in his sound. Um, I like Flex. That song with Juice World, banger. Yeah, that song yeah. with Juice World. Can I can That's I say something about that particular album? Yeah, that song on the yeah. He album, said, yeah, I know. Like he said, he said it. He even said it in an interview with Complex News that that was before the album released. That was probably the song that. He was um, that he was most like looking forward to like people listening to. Really? Yeah, but for me, my favorite song, my favorite song on the album was Twenty One. Okay. But I also like Flex. Don't believe the hype and uh, be something featuring Lil Baby. I think Paul G got a bright future ahead of him. Oh yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah. He he did pretty good sales with this. Yeah, obviously future, obviously future led the way, but that was expected. Yeah, no, I think definitely. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't bad, you know. It, it's not because a lot of artists on their second projects kind of, you know, fall off a little bit. It wasn't really the first one, so they kind of you know take a step backwards instead of forwards. But uh, not not here, not here, honestly. Can I can I say something though about uh this uh the song Little Baby's on? Yeah, go ahead. I feel like that that sound like that song was like fit him perfectly. Why is that? Like that like the song, like that song, like if you listen to it, it sounds like it sounds like a baby song. A little baby song. Little baby is tearing it up this year. Yeah. A lot of people have his album as album of the year. Which but you one? know. Wait, what album was that? My turn? Oh. Wait. Oh my goodness. That came out this year. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. Man, quarantine got me messed up. I felt like that came out last year, but nah. Um, sheesh, yeah. Oh yeah. That was like <laughs> that was like one of the first few episodes that we actually react to that. Yeah. Um I remember. Jeez, uh, wow. Are you all right? Yeah. Wow. But how did you guys feel about the Chef G project? I, I did listened. not listen to that. I you did listened. not listen to it. No, nope. I haven't listened to it either. Uh, you guys didn't do your homework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you listen well, to Gunna's song? Did you no. listen to Wanna? No. Not okay. Mm. Listen to uh, that. I am aware that Gunna has an album coming out this weekend. Ooh, I can't oh, wait for that. Weekend, I can't wait for that. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I like Gunna. I like Gunna better than Baby, honestly. Gunna is better than Baby. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. In but, terms of Chef G, Chef G was good. Chef G was... You know, I, I've heard a lot of good things. And yeah, it, it was pretty good. You know. I'm not, I'm not expecting, you know, crazy numbers or anything like that. But... Honestly, honestly, a reason a reason I could say is that I, a reason why I probably didn't get into the Chef G thing is, man, I was I, I put myself in a in a future coma. Yeah, like I, I was agree. just listening. I, I was listening to Future yeah. for like two, three straight days. 
uh, I got into Polo G's on Sunday, and then I was just like, man, both Polo G and both and Future, those both those albums were good. I just totally, I was like, I was like, man, I forgot about Chef G, but definitely, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna listen to that before this weekend's music's come out. Yeah, definitely do that. Um. To go back, do you do you listen to Chef G at all? Like, did you listen to his first project? No, I didn't listen to his first project. All right, so that's someone maybe that you'll like. Yeah, listening for you. Um, to go back on the um to the Polo G, one song that I'm surprised both of you did not mention is a song with uh BJ BJ the Chicago Kid. Um, wait, wait, wish- wait, wait. Oh, never wish- mind, never mind, never mind. Wishing for a hero. That 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 song, I like that song. I like yeah. that song. No, I think yeah, that uh flex and no matter what are my favorites from the album. I just for wishing for a hero, I like the message. I like the message behind the song. What's the message behind it? It's kind of just talking about like kind of like being a black man and cops killing people uh cops killing us uh for protesting and just yeah that and going into that just like what it's like to be a black man in our kind of like living in the united states we've had a we've had a rough couple of weeks with that kind of stuff so the message was pretty good there yeah yeah it's kind of timely too especially with you know everything kind of like you know what we see and going on Especially, I know you guys are aware of what happened at Providence College, and yeah. people are upset about it, rightly upset about it. And um, uh, also upset about the fact, you know, that they felt like our governor didn't do enough to, you know, kind of condemn what happened. But that's another that's another topic for. That's another, yeah, yeah, that's a topic for another day. But um, also, what do you guys, uh, Tory Lanez, I also mentioned him. Tory Lanez released Temperature Rising. No, trash. No, uh, you didn't listen to it? I listened to, I had, all right. So I probably did not do myself a favor. So I listened to the Future album, and then I listened to the Polo G album. And then it was about two o'clock in the morning and I was tired and I listened to the Tory Lanez album and I did not retain much from it. Um, and I've been busy all weekend, so I didn't give it a second listen. I said trash and I'm honestly trying to correct myself. I throw the I, I feel like we throw the word trash around too much. Yeah, yeah. But um it was it was a whatever. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't, you know. Is it kind of a setback from what we saw from the uh the new Toronto three? Yeah, I mean it was it was just his first song as an independent artist, you know. It was whatever. It was a little, you know, summer's coming song. Mm. I enjoyed um Roy Woods this this weekend. I listened. I've listened to him a little bit, but when I public, I'm not even gonna lie. When I publicly said I listened to it, I got bashed for it. You got bashed? Yeah. What? No, I'm thinking about Russ. 
I mixed up him. Yeah, I mixed up Russ with where was. Oops. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, that is not good. Um, that's not. It's not yeah. good at all. Yeah. Um, I listened to that EP. It was pretty good. Hmm. If you haven't listened to it, I recommend you do so. No, I haven't. Um, anything else y'all want to share? Ghana's coming out this weekend. That's exciting. I after that, I don't know who's coming out with music this weekend. I think it isn't. Oh no! Is wait, is uh is Yadi this weekend or next weekend? Don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Right I, now. I didn't even know until you mentioned it. Yeah, I think he. I think he announced it. Um, I think he announced it last night. I Black's believe. coming out with new music soon too. Oh. Yeah, I mean it's still we're recording on a Wednesday, so it's still you know still the middle of a week. We don't find out about a lot of the music that's coming out this weekend until like you know, like Wednesday night or Thursday. So yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, and to transition. We're going to talk about probably the most talked about issue going on in the past few weeks regarding how um, um, a new proposal that was uh, first reported by NFL.com reporter Jim Trowder. Um, He reported this past weekend that, that NFL owners will vote. They've already voted for it. Um, This week on a resolution that would improve a team's draft position if it hires a person of color as a coach or general manager. The owners were considering a proposal that would improve the team's third-round draft picks by six or ten spots if they hired a minority candidate for a vacant GM or head coaching position. NFO owners did approve the new measures yesterday, but stopped short of rewarding minority hirings with draft draft compensation. Teams are now required to interview at least two head two minority candidates from outside the organization for any head coaching job, and at least one minority candidate for any offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinated job. Teams and league of offices are now required to interview minorities and or female applicants for positions within the organization each each of the 32 nfl teams are also required to establish a minority coaching fellowship what are your thoughts on these new proposals these new requirements that are set to uh go into effect at the beginning of next season i think it's sad that we've gotten to this point honestly Elaborate on that. Uh, why do we have to force rewards on hiring minorities? That doesn't that, – that's just not right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're rewarding people now for hiring, you know, someone that doesn't have probably as much job security slash as many jobs as others. I don't think that's right. Um, In terms of me – like when I first seen the Jim Trotter report, um, like I appreciate the NFL's like efforts in trying to um 
in trying to make this proposal. But I don't think in terms of improving a team's draft draft position, I felt like that wasn't like that's not the way to that's not the way to that's not the way to do it. Yeah, I don't want to reward somebody, you know, for doing something. That, yeah, it, it it's not like they're supposed to. It, I mean, it's a choice, but because the perce- the perception would have been, oh, if a minority gets hired, oh, you got hired because you wanna you got hired to this particular team because your team wants to improve their draft position. Yeah, and like, I'm always I'm always gonna be an like I'm always gonna be an advocate for somebody for having minorities in positions of power because people, especially people coming from minority backgrounds, we all need people that look like us and I'm going through the same experiences because that makes it possible for us. It makes it possible for us to know that we can be in their positions too. Yeah. Um, I actually... I'm going to go the opposite route that you guys are going. Um, but before I get there, I do – I see where you guys are going. You know, obviously you don't want to be the coach that is hired in those circumstances. Um, two, I want to mention again, the proposal to improve draft that did not go through. The yeah. other proposals that I did mention did go through. But let's look at it this way. Um Jay Williams um, on first take earlier this week mentioned a good point. Minority candidates have been long for a long time. Minority, they've been minority candidates that have been the best candidates, but they're still not getting hired. So, you know, we see sports as kind of like, you know, the level playing field that, you know, the best man wins. And, you know, if we look at that in, um, a coaching and uh, front office standpoints, the best what we're told to believe is that the best candidates will get hired. But we still see that today that um, that fifty nine percent of NFL players are black, but there are only three um, three NFL coaches. And two NFL GMs. That I thought it was four. Black. Thought it was no, four head coaches. Okay, no, it's three head coaches. It's uh, Anthony Lynn, um, Mike Tomlin, and uh, Brian Flores. Okay. Oh no, it is four minor. There's three black coaches, and then there's uh, four minority. If we include uh, Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera, yeah. But like I said, yeah, minority candidates. They have been minority candidates that have been. You know, they have the merit to be head coaches. We look at Eric B. Uh, um, and what I Eric B. Enemy. Yeah. He has the he has the merit to be a head coach, but didn't get hired this summer. Um so we kind of do have to create we have to structurally create stuff so that uh minority candidates can become head coaches can become offensive coordinators, can become GMs, can become uh, – can get in those positions where they are in positions of power. Because yeah, I, def- I definitely see where he's coming from. I just don't think that's the right way to do it. Yeah. 
And like, and another thing, another thing about this too is like, in terms of, in terms of being hired based on merit, this doesn't only a like this isn't only a sports issue. This is also like a job issue because like we're we definitely have seen like certain certain um industries where they lack diversity. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. definitely. Um, yeah, even that like even a lot of the job market is about who you know you might not you might not even get uh you might not even get a job because you're the best candidate you might know the right people or you might have gone to the same school as a person as your boss you so that might be the reason that you get a job but i just see it as you know hopefully it does work Hopefully it doesn't, you know, leagues, teams don't use it as a way to just fill a quota. You know, we hired, we interviewed our two um, head coaching, our minority positions. Um, now we don't have to worry about them anymore. But, um, yeah, I just think, you know, it, I hope it just gives it, gives um, minority coaches the opportunity to become coach, become um head coaches and coordinators, but we do have to start somewhere. We do have to give them, we structurally, like affirmative action, you know, schools, um, actually, let me not take that because I'm not too knowledgeable on that, but uh, we do have to have the structures to allow um, allow uh, these coaches to um, become head coaches, coordinators, if we do want to see more than three or four, three black coaches and four minority coaches in the NFL. Yeah. And one thing, one thing, the league has never since the NFL had its first black coach in 19, in the late 1980s, um, the league has never cracked uh, nine or more minority head coaches. It's always, they've, they've gotten to eight. They've gotten to eight. They were at eight in 2018. Yeah. But then the number dropped back to four. Again, I think it's an issue that definitely needs to be addressed. I have no problem with that. I just think they just need to address it in a better way where you're not, you know, you're not rewarding a team for doing something that potentially they did only to be rewarded. Now, let me ask you, what would you, what would you propose? What would be an alternative to kind of making it where, you know, minority candidates don't feel like they're like, you know, they're doing it. You know, mm, trying to think of the I know what you're trying, I, Yeah. I, I know what you're trying to ask. What's your Honestly, alternative? Never- what would your alternative to this be? Honestly, that that requires thinking. It's not something that you can just, you know, do this and that's it, you know? Even that, one thing is, like, you do have a – you're given the opportunity to do something. You are obviously going to take the opportunity and then kind of think about, you know, you're kind of a subject of the system. But you're still going to take the opportunity. You get what I'm saying? I mean, I don't – yeah. I don't mind the idea of, like, like you mentioned previously – 
where, you know, kind of requiring some variation in, you know, people yeah. when in the hiring process. I don't think that's a bad idea. Again, like, and again, the only problem I really have is rewarding a team for doing it. Oh, you hired an African-American coach. Here's an extra draft pick. Or here's a better draft position. I don't think that's okay, you know? But here's here's something. Here, let me ask you this. This is something that Dominique Foxworth uh, brought up on first take today. Would you rather reward a team for a higher draft pick because they stink or because they're being progressive? I'd rather do it in that case because the team stinks. So you're saying you'd rather reward the team because they stink with a higher draft pick instead of giving them a higher draft pick because they're being progressive, they're opening up their options to more ideas, more people. Bro, bro, bro. You let, guys, let me let me put it let me put it in this perspective. What if what if the what if the Chiefs today decided to fire Andy Reid? which I don't think is going to happen. What if they did that, this rule ended up passing, and the Chiefs end up moving up? The Chiefs are already a good team. Like, you're incentivizing an already good team by giving them a, by giving them a higher, higher draft pick, giving them an opportunity to draft a better player? Yeah, why not? I don't, I don't think it matters if they're a good team or not. I feel like first that Chiefs example is a bad example. Probably not the greatest example. But um yeah, you should definitely reward teams for um uh for being more progressive. So But are they really being progressive? But let me say this though in your card. Yeah. So you wanna reward teams that you wanna reward teams for doing something that they already should be doing? That's a good yeah. Um yeah, that, that's, that's that's my argument. That's a good point. That's a good point. Exactly. Like if you do that, then you're gonna you're gonna if that rule ended up going through, then you're gonna see a bunch of teams doing it just out of oh, let's let's get a competitive advantage by doing this. And that's one thing. Hey, I, I can see your point, and that's one thing I don't want to happen because we've seen we know and EBA, we've had conversations with our dad about this. Like, Black coaches are not given, are not, most of them are not given the opportunity to succeed. They're put yeah. in bad situations and then their coaching is blank. They're, uh, because they're put in bad situations, you know, their coaching is taking fault for it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of a good example. The Knicks. Uh, yeah. David Fisdale. Great coach. But, you know, bad situation. Bad, yeah, exactly. Great coach. Bad situation. Um, it's not really fair. He's, he'll get another job somewhere, but um, it's kind of like there's there's a, there's an obvious double standard. Yeah, but um, I get what you're saying. By it's like why would you, why would you reward teams with something that they are already doing that they but, should already be doing anyway? Yeah, but look at it. But teams aren't doing that already. We only have four minority coaches, 
So all I'm saying is this: What do we they, have to lose? All I'm you have to find an alternative. Yeah, yeah that's all I'm saying. And, and, and I can't, I can't propose. I mean, I'm, I, I, it'd be silly for me to try to propose one on the spot, but you know, find an alternative that's a good balance of both worlds, where you're not, you know, having teams do things uncharacteristically because they want a better competitive advantage. Yeah, I personally feel. I don't know in this situation you can get both. It's tough. Yeah, it is. It's not easy. It is tough. I don't think you can get both it, in this situation. It, yeah, it's tough, but I don't think you should do what they originally wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, we'll see. Um, actually, yeah, that's – that's yeah, even that, um, that's just the biggest problem with um, – Kind of like if we compare it to the NBA, NBA does have those structures, you know, where they may are inclusive, and maybe the NFL should take a book out of their NFL should take a page out of their book, um, in the order to. The NFL should do that for many things with the NBA, honestly. Yeah. Say that again. They should do a lot of things that the NBA is doing. If we're being honest. Yeah, that is true. Um. What were you going to say, though, originally? Um, about what? I completely forgot. You were going to compare it to the NBA. Didn't oh, you say, like... Go ahead. I'm just saying the NBA has a certain... has a structures where they are inclusive, which allows them to... Do you have any off the top of your head right now? Do I have numbers off my head? No, like, do you have any, like... What do you mean by structure, like... What exactly are you referring to? Um, let me let me look at numbers right now. I didn't. Are you are you referring to like, in terms of the reputation that the NFL is like, the re- NFL has a reputation of like we're about protecting the shield, this and that, while the NBA oh, yeah, is like definitely. marketing its players and like being known as like one of the most progressive leagues in, even, the, in the in the U.S. Not even, yeah, but they are one of the most um, progressive te- uh, leagues in NF, um, and in all of sports. Um, the Donald Sterling situation is a good example of that. Just always being upfront, you know how they dealt with the coronavirus thing. Yeah, I completely lost my train of thought on that. That's okay. That's yeah, awesome. but yeah, no, but, I I get what you mean. Yeah. In terms of like looking at the NBA, the NBA has been a great association for leading the way in a lot of things. So they definitely need to, you know, look more into that and I, see what they could possibly. Fix. I I don't necessarily think the NBA needs to focus on it. I feel like a sport like the MLB should take a page out of this. The MLB needs a lot of fixes. <laughs> we we can have a whole show about what's wrong with the MLB. Oh. Uh, yeah. But that's like definitely something the MLB needs to like. That's something the MLB can definitely take a page of, out of their book and like improve. Cause you know this is not the 1940s. The MLB is not the number one sport in the U.S. anymore. Like when people say baseball is still America's national pastime, I just think that's 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 just BS in my opinion. Yeah. 
Like I'm picking, um, I'm picking football and uh, football and basketball before that. Um, any final yeah, thoughts before we bring in our guest? Nothing. Nope. It cut yeah, out. It right. cut out for me a little bit. Okay. You said any final so, thoughts? Yeah. Any no. final thoughts? No. Okay. And I'm pleased to introduce one of the most talented people that I know, captivating the local scene with his fashion designs. Um, I am introducing one of my dearest friends, Mel Taylor, who is the founder of Rich Society. Welcome to the show, Mel. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great introduction. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So it's been about a year since we last spoke. How have things been with you? Um, things... It- a lot has happened over the past year. Um, I just switched my website from mo- like switch my, switched my orders from mostly Instagram based to now I have my own website, which I process all of my orders through. Um, business has been going pretty well. I took a small hiatus in the beginning of my first semester of college just to get adjusted. However, um, I'm back now. I have my summer collection that's currently out on my website. So that's pretty much everything that's going on right now. Can't do too much because of the quarantine, but yeah. Um, it's nice you actually brought that out. How how has that been for you? It's been really stressful, especially being that because I'm a prom dress designer. Um, for a great amount of the year, a lot of my clientele are high school students who are requesting prom dresses for me or certain things for, that they might need for prom and. A lot of the time, it's it's really hard to actually, like, navigate it because I have no control over a global pandemic, but a lot of people can't understand that. So they want refunds for dresses that I've already made that they no longer can wear because of the pandemic and their proms being canceled, which is very unfortunate because prom is really important to me, too, because I love seeing, like, the smiles on my clients' faces when... I create the looks that I do for them for prom and for them to not have that and to be stripped from that, especially the seniors, it like really, it really like touches me. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. A lot of, from going to classical, a lot of your clients were classical students and then you eventually expanded to other students, high school students around the, um, around the state. Right. Um, you brought up prom season. Um, how much of prom season, how much revenue do you bring in alone just from prom season? And how has this pandemic affected that? Um, actually, so a great amount of my revenue from my clothing line comes from prom season. Um, last year, I made 27 prom dresses. This year, I had I was scheduled to make closer to 35 to 40 prom dresses. Wow. So a lot of my revenue does come from um, prom dresses, and my dresses usually start at around four fifty, and they go up from there. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good math if if you think about revenue. And then a lot of it goes into materials as well, and a lot of my work I I pay to produce everything. So, whenever I do a shoot, I'm paying for hair, makeup, uh, photographers, all of that stuff. Um, usually my friends are my models, but 
most of the time when I put on a big production, um, I'm usually paying for that out of pocket. So actually a lot of my revenue comes from prom. Oh, wow. And in terms of doing like everything, like I know like you do a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that you make is designed and uh, like constructed by by you how um how difficult is that so i've been doing it for about i would say five years now i'm going into my fifth year um it's become easier as i went on but in the beginning i'll be the first one to talk about it i was trash in the beginning i'm not gonna hold you like i my designs were not up to par and nowhere near what they are now but the part that I loved about it is I'm a, I'm an actual designer. And when I say actual designer, I mean from sketching it to picking the fabric to constructing it to fitting it. I'm, it's me and only me all the, throughout the whole process. So I know a lot of people say they have clothing lines, but don't do any of that. And that's okay, but that's just not what I do. And I feel like it's made me a better designer because I was able to work on my craft each year to get better and better from where I started to where I am now. And in terms of, in terms of doing like everything, everything by yourself, do you think it would be, do you, do you think it would be different if you had like a team behind you? Cause I know like with certain clothing brands, they have like, you have like people behind it, like designing right. this stuff. But in this case with just you, you're just taking care of everything. Would things be different? Um, I think eventually it's going to have to get to the point where I have to have a team behind me. I always want to, I yeah. always want to make it well known to everyone that everything that Mel Taylor puts his name on Mel Taylor had a part in creating. So mm -hmm. I, I, I really think at some point I'm going to have to get a team because even now it's really stressful for me to, because everything that's on my website, I make it to order. So if someone clicks yeah. and buys something on my website, right when I get the notification that I have an order, I get to working on it, package it myself, ship it myself, and everything like that. So eventually, there's some weeks where I'm going to have too many orders, and it, they just won't get out on time, which is kind of an issue that I'm having right now um, with my latest collection because I kind of underestimated myself with this collection, I think. So I got more orders than expected, and now it's um, just producing them. So... I just finished producing about 50 pieces this week and they're all going out for or, um for shipment um by the end of today actually. Wow. Um before we get into that um the summer collection um talk a little bit about how Rich Society started and who inspires you in your fashion designing. Oh, that's that question is a long story, but I'm going to try to make it short for you guys. So Growing up, I've always had a passion for dressing. Like, ever since I was able to walk and talk on my own, I was picking up my own outfits, trying to create things, trying to mix and match. And the funny part of my story is that before I wanted to become a fashion designer, my goal was to be a cosmetic surgeon. And my mom tells me the story all the time of how when she asked me what, like, a plastic surgeon was, I told her at three that it, I want to make people beautiful. So I feel like I'm still doing that in a way with my clothing. So when I got to high school, high school was really hard for me to adjust because I was so used to being 
one of the smartest students or having straight A's and everything. And when you go to a school like classical, where everyone's at the same level and everyone is intelligent, everyone's excelling, it's really hard to adjust to. Plus, I'm very, once you get to know me, I'm very like entertaining or sociable or however you want to say it. Like I'm, I'm very likable. However, like on the outside, I'm really, really shy at first. So high school was really hard for me to kind of adjust to. So I wasn't really great at it. But when I found New Urban Arts, which is an art center directly across the street from school, I fell in love with fashion. And from there, it's been clothing, clothing, clothing ever since. And how is, I've gone to New Urban Arts a few times, great place. A lot of great people, a lot of interesting creative people. How has New Urban Arts helped you in terms of your fashion designing, in terms of the equipment that they, I know they have a lot of great uh, software that you can use. How has New Urban Arts helped you in your journey? Honestly, I always say if it wasn't for New Urban Arts, I don't think I ever would have fell in love with fashion the way I did, or I were definitely not as soon. Because New Urban Arts gave me everything that I needed to start my, basically start my love for fashion. Like there were sewing machines there, there was mentors there, there were there was fabric there that you could use, and I just got a lot of practice from New Urban Arts, and I appreciated everyone that was there, um, helping me out. And I just feel like it's a great resource for students that especially high school students that they should take advantage of. And I always say once I make it to where I want to be um, with my, as far as my goals, I would definitely open up a place like New, New Urban Arts in my neighborhood or in wherever I'm living for students, because it definitely helped me, especially as a young black man. Like there's so many other things I could have did with my time. Um, and I chose to do this and it was just a perfect outlet for me. It kept me out of trouble kept me safe, gave me an artistic uh, outlet where I can put out everything that I was feeling into my art. So overall, it was just really good for me. Yeah, that's a, actually a good point because we actually see a lot of the time uh, what is portrayed in the media as like a black man. It's kind of like the streets right? or you play sports right? and kind of you give like another alternative like, oh, I can, you can also create your own clothes and be creative and create something out of it. Definitely. Um, my next question would be, um, what have you learned about yourself and running um, Rich Society over the past four or five years? So for the most part, I learned that I have to separate my friendships with my business. Um, a lot of people would take advantage of you for what you have and what you can do for them. And I'm a person, I'm very giving. So it's very easy for me to be taken advantage of. And that's something I had to learn how to deal with um, separating my business with my friendships because not everybody wants to see you where you need to be or where you want to be. They just want to use you for what you have. So that's something that I really had to learn. I also learned about my, I also had to teach myself patience, especially with dealing with, with younger, a younger clientele. I had to teach, teach myself a lot about patience and customer service, which I could feel like I can take into any field. I know I wouldn't really go into other field as of now, but if I had to, my customer, customer service skills are out of this world. 
Um, is there a, is there a particular moment for you um, over these past four years that has stood out to you about your brand? The particular moment to me was my first ever fashion show. My first ever fashion show was at URI last year. Um, I was a part of the Uhuru Sasa uh, fashion show. And at first when they reached out to me and asked me, I didn't think I was ready for it because at that time it was senior year. I was trying to figure out everything about college. I was stressed out about class. I'm like, I don't know. I don't. I didn't even believe in myself that I was that talented enough to even put, to even put on a fashion show. So once I actually did it and I saw the response that I got, I feel like that was the catapulting moment to where I became one of Rhode Island's up and coming, well known designers. Because since then, I've had clientele from literally all over the state. I now have clientele out of state. Um, from people who hit me up about what they saw at the fashion show. So I'm forever grateful about that. Um, but that was pretty much the point that stood out to me the most because it's when I actually sat down and I was like, wow, so you actually, like, this is something you can do. Like, people actually like what the, what you're putting out. You actually put on a fashion show, beating, beating the odds, being one of the youngest designers in the fashion show, and everything that I walked down that runway I made it myself with my own two hands. And um, I have, a, yeah, you got Wait. that in EBA. Let me get this. Um, I know the this year's fashion show um got canceled because of obviously because of uh, COVID nineteen. Would you have designed this stuff again yes, this year? Yes, I was year? actually invited to participate in okay. um the fashion show this year again for the second time. Uh, oh, I okay. went through the process of uh picking the models. I had the designs already and it was just waiting for it to happen. And then once uh, the pandemic started, it was just downhill from there because the fashion show had to be canceled. Yeah. Cause I remember, I remember around the time that it was supposed to happen. I see seeing a lot on Twitter and Instagram, people were like, Oh, like they were upset that the fashion show got canceled because a lot of people were really looking yes. forward to it. Yes. I think that's one of the most, popular events at URI's fashion show. Everyone looks forward to fashion show, and I sure did. <laughs> and that's definitely an event that I pro that I was going to go to if this never happened. Yeah, this whole, this whole thing, I just wish people would take it more seriously because I feel like it could have been over by now if people would have actually stayed inside and followed the quarantine guidelines and everything, but... We live in a generation where people have to see it to learn. So, oh, <laughs> which is yeah, unfortunate. I agree. I see it every day at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but going back to the fashion show, um, you talked about picking the models. You specifically, like, how was that process like? Like, when does that start? So, the whole process. Technically, it starts in January, um, which is when the board starts to look for their designers. They reach out to you and ask you if it's something you'd like to participate in. Um, and by about February, March-ish is when they select the actual designers and um, establish who's going to be doing what scene. And then they give you your scene. And then by designer day, 
which is the day where all the designers come together and pick their models that they need for their scene. I go to school out of state, so I had to do mine remotely. So um, I had a FaceTime call on designer day to pick my models um, because I couldn't be in Rhode Island. Hmm. Okay. Um, my next question is more has to do with the clothing brands in Providence, in not Providence, but in Rhode Island specifically. Um, there's so many clothing brands in Rhode Island. It seems like there's a clothing brand popping up every day. Right. Um, what makes Rich Society distinct to the other clothing brands that there are in the state? Honestly, um, I want to say a big shout out to everybody who's coming up um, trying to bring it, bring together a clothing line because it's definitely not easy. And I think a lot of people, which is which is why you see a lot of the clothing brands, they pop up and they stop because a lot of people aren't ready for the work. They aren't ready to to do everything it takes to run a successful clothing line. But what I would say that separates me is that I really I really when I when I'm thinking about designing clothes, I primarily design for women. Um I think about how I can enhance a a woman's beauty because to me the one of the most beautiful things in the world is a woman. So as a designer, Agreed. it's, it's, it's very important for me to accentuate the beauty of a woman. And I take that really seriously when it comes to my designs. And I feel like a lot of people, they, they, they just follow the trends or they slap a name on something and then just call it theirs. But me personally, I like with rich society from, like I said before, from start to finish, it's sketching it out. It's picking the fabric. It's sewing it together. It's making sure the fit is right. It's making sure the packaging right is right and everything. And I do all of that on my own, which I take pride in. So I feel like my clothes are personable. Like you actually felt like, okay, this designer actually sat here and took his time to make this and actually packaged it for me, sent it to me all on, uh, all on his own. And I just find a lot of pride in that because a lot of people don't do that anymore. And I feel like that's especially important because in terms of like some clothes, like some of them will fade, like they have like issues and stuff like that. And you definitely want to have somebody who's able to like explain the problem to you so that, so that right. they're it's able to uh, fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like what he said, I'm going to piggyback off of that. Um having a brand or having something that's yours, like the idea, the idea is like, it's great, but like, it's so much more than the idea. It's a, a lot of it has to do with the work that goes behind it. And when people always ask me like, Oh, I have this idea. I was like, yeah, the idea is great. But like, I hope you're ready for the work in that comes with the right. idea in order to create the vision that you have right. for it. So with that being said, you obviously, you mentioned it earlier. Um, you have just released a summer collection, 13 designs. Correct me if I'm yeah, wrong Yeah, so my collection actually has 20 designs in the full collection. I have 13 now that are available on my website. And um, by the end of this week, I should have the last seven out on the website as well. I'm just trying to, I, I like to gradually drop this, from this collection because usually in the past, I've, I've, I've actually dropped everything at once and 
I feel like it gets a lot of hype and then it slowly dies down when if I drop it in pieces, it's like there's always something coming out each week. And I like to just I like to I like to catch the eyes of people. So I've been trying to do that with this collection here. Talk a, and it's also a it's also a great way for you to like make people know that like oh yeah I'm still here right. I'm still making things right. it, it keeps it keeps me relevant I think so talk talk a little bit about each design I know just to name a few there's Kim Britt Tony Ariel Chantel uh talk a little bit uh, about each design and what are your personal favorites right right so. A lot of people ask me all the time about the names of my designs and what, how do I get the name of my, all of my designs? And like I said before, I really, I really, I love women. I, I'm, I'm very respectable of women. I love to dress them. I love to accentuate the beauty of a woman. So I, I chose to name each of my designs after a different woman's name. And a lot of the names, um, hold certain power they hold certain status and i i really wanted to to basically bring that to light and especially with this collection in particular i've been doing it for all of my pieces but in this particular um particular collection i feel like women are really winning right now especially black women and i i just wanted to bring i just wanted to bring like a lot of awareness and power to that because it's like I don't I don't know if you guys have noticed, but especially in music, the women are running the game right now. And Meg the Stallion is one yeah. of like my muses because she has the quote Hot Girl Summer. So when I was designing my summer collection, I, every piece I was like, what would Meg think about this? And I actually love what she stands for as a woman and the power that she gives to women, especially younger um women of color in college, going for their dreams, putting together what what they want for their lives i i just i love that so i wanted to kind of pay homage to that if a lot of you guys noticed my um pieces are red in this collection for the photo shoot they all come in different colors however a lot of my pieces are red because i really wanted to bring the attention to hot girl summer i wanted to bring something that was going to catch people's eyes so they knew like it was actually going to be a hot girl summer quarantine or not (laughs) Yeah, I feel it. Yeah, Hot Girl Summer, something. I wasn't too, like, I didn't understand right. much of it, but, like, I, I had to, like, read up on it and, like, actually understand what Meg Thee Stallion was trying to promote. And it's important, empowering women, especially in a society that's structured to put them down. And I just love to see how, you know, they're finally breaking through the chains of that and trying to, you know, you know, we can show, we can be ourselves and not, you know, be too, like, too, you know, we're not too bold. Uh, being loud doesn't make us, you know, a certain way. Um, but, yeah, I like that. But one thing, another thing that I mentioned, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at your website right now. A lot of your, um, a lot of your models are women of color. Right. Is that by coincidence or is that by just by chance? So that's something that that's something that I thought about heavily when I was um, creating 
when I was choosing my models, a lot of my models are actually like my really, really close friends that I have on my website. Um, however, that is something really important for me. I feel like, and it goes back to the name Rich Society. I always tell people who ask me what my name comes from. I wanted to make my brand something powerful and something rich, something expensive for the people who aren't really, for the people who can't really afford the big names or who can't really, you know, dress like the stars or who can't really seem to put that, put, put that on them. Because a lot of the times, if you notice, um, if you notice like luxury brands like YSL, Chanel, Balenciaga, just a few to name myself, they have a primarily white audience and there's nothing wrong with that. However, with my mm -hmm. brand, I wanted to make sure that I, I made it known that my rich dolls, which I which, which is what I call my girls, my clients, um, they can be every single color. And it's not like I'm, ex I'm not even excluding like my Caucasian audience at all, because I do have models that have modeled for me that are Caucasian and everyone loves my clothes. I make clothes for literally everyone, every size, every shade, every shape, everything. So I just want people to know that you can be rich. You can still live the luxury life um, when you shop rich society. <laughs> I feel like in terms of like your model choice, I feel like that's very important because like I know like now like we're starting to see like a like diversity in terms of like the types of models we see in magazines. But I feel like it's also important that like young women, young girls see people that actually look like them in magazines. Because like earlier on in our show, we were talking about um, in terms of diversity and like the number one thing in terms of diversity is like the only way people are going to see that things are possible is if people see people in positions of power right. who look and like I that. I find that very important all the time because especially going back to what I was saying about the luxury brands, I find it very important. Like Virgil is one of the ones that's really killing it right now. Virgil's the, um, the creative director for Louis Vuitton and his brand is Off-White. And he inspires me because he makes it known to me that I can be in the in that position. I can go to the Met Gala one day. I can creative direct for a high-end luxury brand one day. Being a black man, I could do that. So I think it's very important for people to see representation of everyone in anything that's put out to the world. Yeah, I agree. Um, you mentioned earlier about um, you, obviously, you mentioned that you may mostly design um, for women. Um, but have you ever thought of going to design for men and giving stuff for us men to, you know, rock, uh, you know, around campus, around the neighborhood? Yeah, actually, I actually do. It's something that I'm thinking about right now. I have something, a project actually in the works right now for men um, that I hope goes really well. My thing with that is a lot of the things that I wear, I customize and make for myself. I just have a wider audience that are females. So my last collection was very, which what my last merch collection, my season one merch, which was the hoodies that I put out. I wanted to definitely add some male models into the mix because I thought it was very important to show them that that I can do both and 
I can still come up with fly stuff for the guys too. So I'm actually working on a project right now, um, limited supply actually of what's going to come out. So I, I'm really excited about that. A lot of guys have been asking me about when I'm going to do something for the guys. And I think this next project, the guys are going to like it a lot. Yeah, dear. Cause yeah, me and my brother were talking about our, we were, we were surfing through the website um, yesterday and we were just talking like these hoodies are fly, but we clicked on them and yeah, they're all sold out. A limited supply. I was like, of the hoodies, damn. So hopefully I'm going to be restocking sometime in the fall. Um, however, I'm really proud of those hoodies because that's something that I actually came to me in a dream, which is a lot of, a lot of my designs come to me when I'm sleeping, which is so weird, but that's a design that I've had in my head since I first started designing. And it's just now is coming to the light. I dropped it in the beginning of 2020 and it did really well. I'm so happy with how it came out. Um, I can't wait for you guys to see the season two merch. Um, I might restock uh, the season one merch as well, because I have a lot of people asking for um, some more hoodies and then I might definitely do them in some more colors as well. Um, how long is your design process from sketching to the final product where you're have it, you have it, where you're modeling and showing it off on social so media? So it actually, it depends. It varies from design to design. Some designs take me a full week, two weeks, even up to three weeks to put together one thing, depending on how meticulous it is. And then some designs, if I see it in my head, I can have it done and on a model in 20 minutes. So it just depends. Yeah. It just depends wow. on what it is and when I have to put it out. Um, my best friend actually, like there's times when um, we're at home in Maine and she is like, we have to go somewhere. Um, can you make me the shirt real quick? And I can have a shirt done in 10 or 15 minutes. And then there's times where I have people that come to me with a particular dress design that I have to sit down and put thousands of stones on and that I do by hand. So it would take me way longer than it would to take me to make something else. So it just varies from design to design. Wow. Um, and I didn't catch what was what's your favorite? What was your favorite design from the summer so collection? The thing is Asking me that question is like asking a parent who's their favorite child because I love every <laughs> single design that I put out in, especially this collection. A lot of my collection in the past, uh, I put them out. I was happy with them at first, but then after a while, I lose confidence with them. But this co collection here, I'm really confident about every single piece. If I had to choose a favorite, it would probably be um, one of the three designs that I will be releasing tomorrow night. So you guys got exclusive right there. I haven't told anyone yet that I'm going to be releasing three items tomorrow night on my website, but one of them are in that collection. I would say those three. If, if the people listen early enough tomorrow afternoon, then they'll catch that information before it they'll does release tomorrow know. night. Um, yeah. But lastly, before we let you go, um, where can people find your stuff and stay up to date on so, your brand? I post a lot of my items on my Instagram page, which is at rich society underscore underscore underscore. And that's R-X-C-H society. Um, you can follow me there on Instagram. If you have any questions for me, you can follow my personal Instagram at Mel the Taylor. 
T-A-Y-L-O-R underscore. Um, and then if you like to see behind the scenes stuff, I post a lot on my TikTok. Think we love. I hope we didn't lose him. Mel, are you still there? Ah, this is not good. Oh, let's give him a second. So I believe he was going to say that you could follow him on TikTok at Mel Society, um, M-E-L-S-S-O-C-I-E-T, to see some of his uh, behind-the-scenes work. And then he also has a website. Hello? Yeah, he just left. Yeah. Um, um, well. Damn, that sucks. But um, yeah, you could follow him, Mel Society, on uh, TikTok. And then he has his website, Rich Society by Mel Taylor.com. Um, has all the information he just mentioned earlier um, about his process, his, um, his designs that he has out. Um, he pre- I'm pretty sure he will have those designs that he did mention that will come out Thursday night on the website. And he has pictures. He also has pictures of some of his designs on his models. Um, and yeah, uh, like I just mentioned, you can find all of this at you can find all of this at richsocietybymel.com. There's also another thing to mention is if um, if you follow him on Instagram, he has a link. He has a link tree link where you can find all of his information in terms of. In terms of, uh, in terms of his his website, his Twitter account, his TikTok, and his YouTube channel. Yeah, um, so it appears that he might have gotten. So, um, we'll see that. We'll see if he can get back on. Um, if he can't, then um, that's unfortunate. But like I mentioned before, he's one of the most talented people I know. It's amazing that he does this all by himself. Um, just creating the designs from, you know, from sketching them. We get him back. Can you guys hear me? Awesome. Yep. So, yep, okay, we got you back. Yeah. So you were talking about yeah, your I TikTok. Yeah, um... Sheesh, I hope that does not happen again. Um, Mel? Oh, he might have gotten bumped out. Can you hear us? Ooh. 
Ah, uh, dang, I think he got bumped out again. Um, anyway, we said it anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, visit his website, ricksocietybymel.com. Um, and check his stuff out. Um, I will definitely, when he drops some stuff for men, I will definitely be getting some things because I definitely need to start repping more Providence brands. Um, anything else before you, anything else before we kind of close out the show any yet? Uh, no, I don't got anything. All right, cool. Um, so thank you for tuning in to the 11th episode of the Beyond the Bleachers podcast. If this is your first time listening to the show, subscribe to us on Spotify and pod- and Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Beyond Bleachers for your latest sports and pop culture news and updates on guests that we might have for future shows. Like we have for the past several weeks, I'd like to thank all frontline and essential workers that are getting us through these difficult times. And I'd also like to emphasize the importance of please, 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 please observe social distancing as, especially in Rhode Island, states slowly starting to open up, the weather's getting warmer, and people are having more opportunities to hang out. Um, Restrictions are getting uh, kind of eased a little bit, allowing people to, you know, gather in a little larger groups but not large groups. So I just want to just emphasize, the, just continue to, I know things appear to get better, but we don't want to have cases spike back up again. So please, please, please do your best. If you don't need to go out, please don't go out. Um, and yeah, um, anything else in need yet? Nope. All right, cool. So yep, like we just mentioned, Thank you for thank you for listening to the eleventh edition of the Beyond the Bleachers podcast, and we'll see you next time.